0: Ruth to go back. It's the last time as well. I find it uh, just a little disappointing in that, in the statement that Naomi makes, it tells me that she's fully aware that the decision for Ruth to go back to her people includes going back to the influence of her gods, gods like Chemosh. It seems that Naomi uh, feels it is more important for. Ruth to remarry, that that is of the greater concern, but it points up again a problem we saw at the first, that her priorities are askew. She still keeps the physical, her physical needs well above her spiritual needs. It's a short-sighted view, and she's looking again to the world there in that statement and not to God. Okay, any other comments?
1: I think that's very much like the same as with the sorrow, right? Like she's aware of the need. The need is there, like it is a real thing, but the same way that the sorrow is not supposed to be the end, but the sorrow is there to drive us through that vulnerability to the Lord. And the need is to do the same thing, whereas she's basically cutting that short and saying, you have a need, so go and fulfill it yourself. And it's... I, I've been thinking how like this intro is basically this replaying of uh, the, the Exodus in the Wilderness Wanderer Okay. where um, from, from Deuteronomy 8, it talks about, he humbled you and let you be hungry, and he fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. There so there's almost this opportunity of the Lord saying, I'm going to provide, oh great, I'm going to provide a famine. No don't do that and therefore you will receive from me and they're basically in the land and they say good now that this is happening we know that we must provide for ourselves we must leave the house of bread in order to go find food and then later on she realizes like no there is provision there That's right now we must
0: actually so you're delving way way below the surface of what we're reading here and it's beautiful what you've that's a very astute and all of these things, I mean, this happened, okay? Make no mistake. Now, this happened. But there are so many principles here. Lugie has really jumped onto this part about the sorrow. And I think we can, we'll be able to do the same thing with punishment in just a minute as well. That these things from the outside look like they're just overwhelming. What what do, what do you do? You mean trust God? Are you kidding me? Yeah. No, we're not kidding. Trust God. And we're going to see how this plays out as we go through the story. There are people in this book that trusted God when these people were not, okay? And we're going to see the different situations as they come up. Well, Jack, I I do think that describes so many in the
2: church today that, you know, yes, I've trusted in Christ for my salvation. There's so many promises beyond that. You know, He promises to provide. He promises, and and you do, you see this like, well, you know, yeah, go back to your own people and your own God, well, that's empty. There's nothing there. That's but, right. But go back, but at least you'll, at least you'll have a
0: husband. Right. And right. this is Naomi's standpoint right here. Right. Yeah. So good. Well, we're, we're going to get into this. Um, so let me say this. Now, up to this point, uh, we've built the story up to what I call the beginning of the highlights. Uh, we're about to be introduced now to the real Ruth. The real Ruth. And I want to tell you, she is delightful. I uh, <clears throat> I found a companion verse for her I wanted to, to put with it, and I went directly to uh, technical difficulties.
2: Just
0: another week. Yeah. Let's see. I went directly to Proverbs 31, verse 26. Okay? This is the wife... Of excellent conduct. All right? She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness. That's that word, has said, that's prominent in the book. It's on her tongue. This is just an introduction to Ruth. So let's go and read verses 16 through 18 of chapter 1 of uh, Ruth. And it says But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be, italics, my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So we have this beautiful statement of commitment. And it, and it just leaves, I believe it leaves Naomi just speechless. It says here that Naomi saw Ruth's determination. I don't think that's just figurative. It's not just that she looked and understood. The literal translation is that Naomi saw Ruth strengthening herself. I think she saw a change in her posture as she stood for, for this statement here. So from here on, Ruth is, is tying her future to Naomi's. And even greater than that, she's claiming the God of Israel as her own. So we have before us this beautiful statement, this decision, a momentous decision, as I've been talking about. Commitment and dedication, and I, I believe that there are seven parts in here, seven aspects for us to look at, and I'm going to take them one at a time. So first, Ruth says to Naomi, where you go, I will go. She is submitting, them to be guided by Naomi. And she will follow Naomi's lead as we're going to see in matters as well, in matters that will be coming up. Number two, where you lodge, I will lodge. Ruth is changing her location and she's identifying herself with Naomi and her kinsmen, okay? She's going to be sticking with Naomi. Naomi's not just a train ride over into Israel for her, she's going to be with her. Number three, your people, italics, shall be my people. In the broader sense, Ruth now identifies with the Jewish people, and this means forsaking her formal farmer people, the Moabites. Number four, and this is the, I believe, the centerpiece of the statement. She says, "Your God, my God." Ruth is forsaking all false gods, especially. Kemos, and she's identifying herself with the one true God of Israel, Yahweh. So some of you know that I have a problem with rabbit trails, <laughs> and I just can't pass them by. Uh, I have one here to take you with me on. Um, so as I say, I believe this is the highlight of the chapter, if not the entire book. And so I spent some time looking at this. I went over it many times. You know how sometimes you, you, go, you look at something so long and so hard, you just kind of hit the wall? Have you ever done that? Well, that's where I was on this, and something happened to me, to me emotionally, and I couldn't get through it again. Uh, it just grabbed me when I saw this. I, I'm thinking, this, this lady's conversion. I'm, I'm watching le- life Excuse me, death to life in front of my eyes here. And so I'm going to embarrass my wife now. Sue walked by and saw I had tears in my eyes. She said, what's up? I said, this is so beautiful. I had her look at it with me. And I read it and I said, we've we've literally seen someone come to life. And she said, I don't think so. And I said, what do you mean you don't think so? She goes, this didn't happen here what she's talking about. It didn't happen right here. Uh, what do you mean? So I started to look at it. And I, you heard me say, shall be is in italics, right? It's in italics. The translators put words... Uh, when you see italics, they've inserted something to add to the readability of the passage or to the uh, understandability of it. So it's not really there. But it, if you read it, shall your people shall be my people, it indicates that the decision had not been previously made, right? Well, there is a, uh, I have a version of the Bible called uh, a literal standard version. It came out in uh, 2020, and it is a, it's an interlinear Bible from the original languages. It's a word-for-word translation. They don't insert italics. All they do, and they use the best manuscripts they believe. Uh, All they do is give you the the, uh, verb tenses, the verb tenses. So I go back. And look in the in my, LSV, and where it says, "Your people will be my people," it says, "Your people is my people," is my people or are my people? And so you have to say, "Well, this has already been made. Where was she? How would she have made a decision for the Lord?" Well, the only the only uh, test, uh, testimony she had before was was that family, those backslidden Jewish people that came down to Moab, right? And yet, life against dark, light against darkness, life against death, stood out enough for her to see that they had something that her pagan gods didn't provide. And so their witness was enough, even in a backslidden state. You know, never underestimate uh, You know, what, what people see or are looking at you to see when they know you're a Christian. And so... This indicates that the decision had already been made. So that what we're looking at here in this passage isn't her conversion, this is her baptism. This is her public declaration of what she's already believed. And I think the rest of it will help to bear this out as we go forward. Okay, uh, part five. She says, where you die, I will die. She identifies herself then with Naomi's destiny for a lifetime. This is the amazing one. There I will be buried. Amazingly now, Ruth is identifying herself with the promised land. And to me, that indicates the depth of her understanding of her decision. Why do I say that? You know, in the Old Testament, the Jews were not looking for heaven per se, right? They understood that their eternal destiny was to be resurrected in their own land, the promised land, with the Messiah on David's throne. You know, Joseph and Jacob, they both got commitments before they died that their bones would be taken there, right? That's where they want to be resurrected. Let me just take you a passage from Isaiah. The prophet speaking to the Jewish people says, Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. That's resurrection. You who dwell in the dust of the earth, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Or Job says, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has thus been destroyed, after my death, yet in my flesh I shall shall see God in a resurrection body, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, my heart faints within me. Okay, part seven. She says, may the Lord do to me at the end of her commitment statement. And she's sealing her decision then with a word, with her word before God. It's a life decision, and she's making it for a lifetime, just like all believers do. Now, I don't think it's so much an oath that she's making here as it is an expression of her sincerity and her seriousness. And I think she approaches it I think, uh, with the same attitude that Paul had uh, for Israel in uh, Romans chapter 9 when he's praying for them. They are partially blinded to the truth of the gospel, but he has a passion and a love for his people. And in Romans 9 verses 1 through 3, Paul says, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I believe it's important to remember here that Ruth makes her choice without any encouragement from Naomi and especially without any sorts of promises, right? Come to Israel and all your troubles will go away, right? No, she was told to expect the worst. I think that the prosperity gospel promoters could probably take heed how true faith looks and sounds. All right, moving on. Chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Let me read these. So both Naomi, excuse me. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi and Ruth make the journey to Bethlehem. And on their arrival, all the city is stirred. We see that. It says, the women say, but... Some versions don't uh, distinguish between the women and everybody, but there's a warm welcome. And I kind of remember I said how there's a, a parallel here between the prodigal son. This is kind of like the prodigal son coming back to the father's house here. I would say that uh, the fact that there's so many people that are aware that this is Naomi and that she has changed uh, is indicative of the fact that most had not chosen, most of the people had not chosen to leave Bethlehem when there had been the famine 10 years early. Naomi's response, though, demonstrates that her grief and depression and blaming of God have continued. The fact that she'd like to change her name from Naomi, pleasant, to Mara, bitter, is notable. Bitterness is notable, isn't it? What do you think about bitterness? Can you think of other words to describe bitterness or synonyms for bitterness? What about poison? Anger. Anger. Frustration. There's a thing about bitterness. Who, who determines if we are bitter? We do. We, did. That's, we do that for ourselves. What's that uh, saying about bitterness and poison that we talked about?
2: The poison you swallow hoping the
0: person dies. Right. The bitterness, bitterness is the poison we take hoping to kill the other person. I found the word bitter, mara, elsewhere in scriptures, actually in two passages. Uh, It comes up in uh, Numbers 33, but we get the story in Exodus 15, so I'll just turn to that. Exodus 15, verses 22 through 25. This is right after Moses had brought the uh, Israelites, the Jews, out of Egypt and crossed through the Dead Sea. This is actually three days after. Let me read it. It says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. That's the Sinai. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. What's notable here is not that the Israelites were grumbling. They have a tendency to do that. What's notable here, for me, is the idea of a tree being thrown into the bitter waters and causing them to to become sweet. I wonder if there's a picture there. Anybody see it? Raise your hand. (laughs) Right, the cross, the wood, it's cursed to hang on a tree, right? Jesus did that for us. And here we see a little picture. Okay, going back then to the book. Naomi said that she went out full, meaning she'd had her, she had her husband and two sons, but uh, probably no land as we discussed because they would have had to finance their trip or pay debts. So she seems to, in saying she went out full, I mean, I, in, some, in one sense she's right, but in another she seems to be forgetting some things, Right? I mean, if she was so full, why did she go out in the first place? But she now returns with Ruth. But her grief and depression have uh, become bitterness, so she's, she says she's returning empty. But in doing so, she's unaware of the value of the person who's with her. How do you think Ruth felt when she heard that? No, knowing what I've read about her, probably she just let it roll off. Uh, but I'll tell you this, Naomi's going to find out what a treasure that this daughter in law is <clears throat> as we go forward. So at this point, then, Naomi still attributes her troubles as hardship and punishment from God. And very likely they were. Uh, but I would call them chastening and discipline. Chastening and discipline. Just as you were pointing out, Luggy, the the discipline for a believer is meant to accomplish something. We're not talking about punitive. We're talking about purposeful, okay? So let's look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11. It says, all discipline, this is for believers, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. This is what we're going to be looking for in Naomi, a peaceful fu- fruit of righteousness. And we will... see. Right. Yes, I mean, this all just ties together so well. I think she's going to really enjoy her fruit of righteousness, too. Now, um, I would point out that Naomi has now called God, in the verses we just read, the Almighty, El Shaddai. This is actually the third name used for God in, in the first chapter of Ruth. She's also called him Yahweh, Lord. The Tetragrammaton. She's called him uh, Elohim, which is the plurality of the Godhead. But speaking of God as the Almighty here, it emphasizes both his great power and his provisions as well. He is the God who provides all our needs. I wish you had seen that earlier. It denotes the God who cannot be resisted and whose judgments cannot be averted. He's the God who chastens. What Naomi doesn't know yet, though, is that God the Almighty, in his gracious mercy and his kindness, his, has said he's about to bless these two widows in a mighty way, even beyond their wildest expectations. How, how wild would that be? Paul's doxology in Ephesians 3, verses 21 and 22, tells us how well God may bless us. Listen to this. Four descriptives. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever amen we have a we have a very great god last verse chapter 1 verse 22 so naomi returned and with her ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, it may not be apparent yet, but this verse is representing a major transition from uh, despair and bitterness to hope. God, through his sovereign providential powers, he's really going to favor Ruth and Naomi in what would be a seemingly hopeless predicament, two widows coming back with no money in a a culture that's not ready to receive them. Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley season though, this was a time of excitement and joy and hope. It was a time, it would have been near the Passover. It would have been near the Feast of First Fruits. This would have been in the springtime, probably in late March or early April. The attitude of the peoples would have been upbeat and joyous. They'd have been anticipating, anticipating a very big harvest they recently came out of a drought and famine. Remember that. They'd be thinking God's favor is back with us. And they'd be giving thanks and giving offerings. Okay, chapter one. Any comments on that before we go into two? Jeff? Yeah, all
2: right. Um, so I'm just like, backing up back to verse 16 and, and Ruth's statement. You know, so often... And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, Naomi had, you think about her upbringing. So she had truth. She had the knowledge of the, the Savior, the, the God who, you know, was, and she's telling these girls to go back to their gods. She's lost sight of what she has and what she knows. Ruth, on the other hand, has lived in this empty culture, and she recognizes where else should I?
0: How can I not go with you? Right. Because you, whether you recognize it or not, have all this. It sounds like Peter it talking to Jesus, where shall we go?
2: Right. But it's so much to me a picture of us as believers who we, we, we've had Christ for long enough, especially if we grew up in the church, that we forget what we have. And people, we forget how lost people are and how hopeless they are. And and so we're going, well, I mean, yeah, I kind of got this thing, you know, if you go to church, and we're kind of wishy-washy about it sometimes. It's like, when we should be shouting it from the rooftops. What I have is amazing, but, but we tend to forget. And, and of course, she's gone through these things, and she's thinking, well, you know, I thought this all worked, but it's not working. But she's given up on God saying, you know, he's, he's let me down. No, he hasn't let you down. You're just, you're just short-sighted, which we tend to be. Mm-hmm. And, and when she looks at it, you know, when she's able to look back when we get to the end of the book and she right. looks back, you know, we see that hindsight. But Ruth recognizes, you've got something nobody else has. I've got to go with you.
0: You know, you're pointing out something that's so true. There's a, a regarding faith, it's so easy to look backward in faith, isn't it? Than look forward in faith. Absolutely. Oh, I remember when this and that, and oh, God did this for me. Right. Instead of going, oh, I'm facing all of this. What in the world am I going to do? Millie. hmm right I would d- well that's why we should really focus on Ruth this is a new believer I mean just when you see the gray she enters a room with grace she proceeds in grace as she's going through she does things that are not required of her and you're going why and she's being blessed her socks are being blessed off and it's it's just beautiful to look at as we go. So, hey Jack, yes. I also appreciate, <clears throat> this is another example of the Lord just, he doesn't forsake you. He'll bring somebody else in, up into your life to draw you back to him. I don't need Dad. Oh, my gosh. She's a dried-up well right now. She is beyond childbearing. She has no way of extending her family name of Judah. And I'll, I'll tell you something, there's a lot writing on this relationship. <laughs> I mean, yes. Yes. The Lord
2: doesn't it. He does not. Kevin. You know, I, th- I think that's an interesting comment, which you just brought up about how Naomi needed that, and the picture of the Jews and the Gentiles, and the overall plan of God of using the Gentiles to make the Jews jealous to come back. To okay. Them. All right.
0: So... That's right. And so is your comment. So um, we've got pictures working in here. All right. We, we, I've already told you Boaz is a picture of Jesus Christ. Kevin just brought up, brought up something with Gentiles and Jews. This is very important. And we need to, you know, we're going to focus on what's on the pages, but you can, you can take and apply this in multiple levels backward. Okay. We have, a, we have a Gentile believer. Who in the world could that be? And we have Naomi, the Israelites, given the covenant. You know, and it's just beautiful how it works itself out. We'll talk more about it as we go through.
2: Well, I, was, I wrote down, too, when you were in Exodus 15, you know, Ruth is in the line of the branch. You know, so in some ways, Ruth was Naomi's branch. She's the one who makes the bittersweet, you
0: know? This is beautiful, yes. Yeah. Beautiful. She's one of four women in, in Christ's lineage that are mentioned in Matthew. And yes, Israel. I just think we not to forget where Ruth learned about the Lord. Right. It was probably all Naomi. Probably. Right? At this point, after 10 years, yes, she's discouraged. If you'd have asked Naomi. It was just interactions. If you'd asked Naomi, did you witness to Ruth? Well, I mean, you know, not really. (laughs) I doubt. Most likely, did. Yes. Yeah. Well, they saw light up against dark, and you know, and even in these this whole the whole book is like a, a a string of pearls on a black background. You know, it just shines out for the times and the situations and all of it. Moab was not a good place to be, and yet. Look, what is, what is God's, this is God's sovereignty.
2: Yeah, that shows the difference, choosing your own path or submitting to God. So when Elimelech chose to go there, even through all this, it eventually is going to come out there, everything's going to be graced because of the choice of Ruth, her path being determined by the one and true living God. She's submitting to him, and then everything comes about because of that. With so much time in our lives we are trying to destine our own path. We get discouraged. We get depressed, and then we just submit back to God, and then we seem to get right
0: on the right path. Right, we don't want. To, I don't want to let go of control. It's not when. I, it's only when I see there's nothing else I can do that I go to Him, and I should. That should be the first place, because He's so faithful. I agree. I mean, now she's probably witnessing backward to Naomi in her life, and and she does. But you're going to see, don't give up on Naomi, and don't think that Naomi doesn't love Ruth, because that will become extremely evident going forward. So let's let's get into verse 1, chapter 2. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz... Kinsman here is not goel, this is not kinsman redeemer this this word means a relative or a family relation. Some verses uh, some translations may even say acquaintance so we 're not there yet. Some of the translations may substitute the word clan for family of Elimelech, clan of Elimelech, which is probably a little more accurate. Uh, you know the hierarchy in Israel would have been the tribes that would have been made up of different clans which were Groups of families living in the same region, and then you would have the families or the, imme- the immediate family, like a limlex, uh group. The fact that uh, Boaz, which by the name his, uh, by the way, his name means uh, swiftness or strength, uh, and I think we'll see he's pretty fast and strong as we get going. But uh, he's a, it's a mention it'll be mentioned again in, chap- in verse three of t- chapter two. Again, that he is a kinsman, he is a relative. This is a very important point going forward. It's also mentioned here that Boaz is a man of great wealth. Uh, the NESB translators have chosen to translate Hayel, the, the Hebrew H-A-Y-I-L, as wealth, which is uh, one way to translate it, but there are multiple options. The word is very broad and it is very rich with meaning. And it really, it speaks of many, many qualities, which Boaz possessed. Remember, Boaz is a picture. He's a prefigure of Jesus Christ. Um, I found a really a good scripture I wanted to insert here. Just like the story, the book of Ruth is a love story, so is our relationship with the Lord. I want to, uh, to uh, oh, I punched, I did that. <laughs> I did it. You know, it's hard being dyslexic. Okay, now, Isaiah 54, 5. This is Isaiah, the prophet, speaking to Israel. He says, uh, regarding their love relationship with God, For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your Redeemer, Jesus, is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. You know, every time I read uh, Jesus as Redeemer, since I've been studying this book, I understand the connection with the principles in this book. Redeemer refers to that kinsman, that goel, and and this emphasized it's one of his many names as a redeemer. And so I think that it's it's going to be great to see uh, the depth of this principle and how beautifully it works uh, for God's people. Now, the same word uh, translated um, man of great wealth is also... We we read in uh, the very first... uh, uh, portion of the of the lesson that uh, Gideon we saw his calling from the angel of the Lord we read that in Judges six twelve in that the angel of the Lord called Gideon mighty warrior it's the same word okay and it's also used in Proverbs thirty one the the wife of uh, noble character same word uh, here I mean they could have translated man of valor or uh, great standing man of great standing uh, those would probably more appropriately communicate the meaning, but Boaz was indeed wealthy, and uh, he was also likely a man of the law, probably a man of war, even. And, uh, but he, he lives an exemplary life in Bethlehem, and his reputation preceded him. He was above reproach, and God had prospered him. And I just can't let this go. Uh, 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 chapter one, verse one, when I read that man, And I read the certain man in chapter 1, verse 1, Elimelech. One stayed and one went. And I just see the blessings uh, to the one. And I see death uh, in the other situation. Quite a dichotomy there. I think this is a good place to stop. We'll pick it up in verse 2 of chapter 2 next week. And uh, I would get... uh, Matt, will you close us in prayer, please?